The ABC's Word Wizard, the Lord of Language. A word in your ear with Professor Rolly Sussex. Tonight, Rolly Sussex wants to talk about the stress of words. Hello, Rolly. I do indeed, because you are Rebecca Levingston. Rebecca is second syllable. Rebecca Levingston, you're assessed on the first syllable. My name is Roland Sussex stressed on the first syllable both times. But what about the name B-E-R-N-A-R-D? Mm, Bernard, Bernard. Ah, which? Mm. Um, I'll tell you what, when I was young, and that's a long time ago, um, it was Bernard and it was the St Bernard dog and the St Bernard pass in Europe. But about 20 years later, it started becoming Bernard. And that's an Americanism. Because the the word does come from French and a lot of French... Well, French words are normally stressed weakly on the end, Bernard, okay? And so with Baton and Beret and, and a few others, we started following the American pattern of putting the stress somewhere else. And I think it's now almost always Bernard. What about G-E-R-A-R-D? Well, I would say, I, I would say Gerard... Gerard. But, I, but I've got some friends who are Gerards as well. And Gerard is, of course, French. Mm. Right? So that when there is a possibility of it borrowing from somewhere else, you can find yourself in a, in a spot of bother. For example, Andrew prefers pineapples and mandarins and not avocados and mangosteens. That sounds weird. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> English is a language where you've got to get your stress in the right place if you're going to sound authentic. Now I feel stressed about stress. Well... Why don't you try uh, Czech or Slovak or Hungarian where the stress is always on the first syllable? Always. Always. So, so does that, that it... mean to hear those languages spoken, they sound fairly robust and strong? Except that they don't make such a big difference. I mean, in upper-class English, you make a huge difference between a stressed syllable and an unstressed one. So I'm doing medicine, university now. And I, I'm more or less swallowed all the other syllables. Mm. Whereas in, in Czech, things like um, zarhanie is, is a, an organ, you know, musical instrument, zarhanie, it's stressed lightly on the first syllable, but it's, you know, it's a bit different. Yes. So, and then you've got Italian, which is, people think it is stressed on the second to last syllable, you know, and you've got uh, spaghetti and vacanza and Torino and Roma. So, because people talk about Italian sounding a little bit like sing-songy, yep. is that because of a different use of... Or a different emphasis. It's partly the fact that the stress is on the second last syllable in only 80% of Italian words, by the way, because if you've got a P-E-R-G-O-L-A in your garden, it's not a pergola. It's a pergola in Italian. Mm. All right? You've got to be careful. But they also have a much more um, melodic intonation in the language. It goes up and down. And when, you, when I talk like this in Italian, you know, nah, 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 yeah. or when I talk in French, there is something different going on. I cannot stop my, my eyebrows. They become mobile. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas English has a different kind of intonation, mm. a bit more restrained, not so up and down emphatic. And so you've got to learn that when you're learning the language. Yes. Well, and there's the stress of uh, vowel sounds and syllables in individual words, and then there's where you put the stress in sentences yes. because, you know, some people will, or they say that Australians finish their sentences up, you know? Ah, that's HRT, which is high rising tone, not hormone replacement therapy, or right. it is both actually. But HRT comes from probably from uh, America, probably California, maybe the Kardashians. Um, and a, a very large number of younger people, especially young women, mm. 
are using HRT. So I went to the pub with me mates and we had a couple of beers. Uh, uh, uh. Sounds like almost like questions all the time. Yes. Whereas in fact it's the default way of making a statement for people who talk like that. Is it also a way of getting a little bit of reassurance from the listener, the person you're talking to, like, I'm saying this, you with me, mate? You still hanging in there? You're very good. That's exactly the way it started in Victoria in the 70s with young females, and they did some very careful analysis of what this meant, and it meant, I'm in the middle of a sentence, are you with me? Can I go on? Are we in agreement? Right? So that it was, in fact, a kind of... Please give me some indication that I can continue. Yes. So there was a question in it and then it lost the question bit and that intonation has become part of the default pronunciation for young Australians, especially females, under about 20, 25 maybe. Interesting. It's changed. Just going back to a word we uh, discussed last week, kilometre ah, or kilometre. I yes. mentioned that when I was talking to Kelly Higgins-Devine earlier tonight saying, ah. Oh, I think I've been saying it the wrong one, wrong way and someone texted through saying, nonsense, KM, can be pronounced either way. It can now. But if you think about it, decimeter, centimeter, kilometer, right, there's a kind of pattern there, centimeter, kilometer, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Millimeter. Millimeter, exactly. Whereas the ometer ones like anemometer and thermometer and barometer are all measuring instruments. So kilometer it's jumped out of its group and now is trying to hook onto the the instruments one. But uh, it is now so common in Australian English. And there, there are two ways you can get around it. You can call it Ks or in the army you can call it clicks. Oh, clicks is fun. And it's fun. Yeah. And so I, it's almost as if we're aware there's a, a problem with kilometre or kilometre. And so we shorten it to Ks or clicks as a way of getting around it. All right. I might use clicks. Um, this is a question out of the blue. Yes. Rolly, why is the word humble so overused? I'm not sure that it's hugely overused, except in a phrase like, in my humble opinion. Now, that's a, a set phrase. It's, it's almost a cliché. A cliché is something which is overused and overused where you don't even listen to it. It's a kind of, you know, you're on autopilot. And in my humble opinion, um, or when someone is elected to office or gets a very, very senior job. I am deeply humbled by this event, you know. No, they're not. They're, they're having an absolute high. It's the great moment of their lives. Well, let's go back to fundamentals. What is the, the true definition of the word humble? Humble is um, not putting yourself up, not being up yourself, not, not uh, putting yourself ahead of others, but, but kind of suppressing your own importance in relation to other people Interesting. In, a, in a modest way. And modesty and humility were virtues which the Victorians thought were really very good. So as you pointed out, in fact, the opposite of what's happening when you were elected to high office. Remember when Rupert Murdoch had to appear in front of a oh. sort of a media committee and he said, this is the most humble day of my life or yes. humble day of my career? Mm. Sometimes people mean humble as humble and sometimes they mean it as a cliché. And it's sometimes very difficult to work out which one is which. Yes. I tend not to use it terribly much because it's, it's, it can be misunderstood. Mm. On, the, on the other hand, um, integral and integrity and integral and so on. Yes. These are tricky. And what's going on is this. If you've got one form of a word where the stress is in one place and it should be integral according to the dictionary, right? But then you've got integrity where the stress has shifted to the next syllable. 
And that's some extra brain work because you've got to remember that one of them has got the stress in one place, the other's got the stress in the other place. And there's lots of these. For example, like reveal, revelation, reveal, revelation, or photo, stressed syllable, photography, second syllable, photographic, third syllable. Yeah. English is, is murder like this. Tricky. And when you've got a something like integral or integral and integrity, very often one of the words like integrity that is probably used a lot more than integral, I think it, its stress kind of infects the other ones. And it, this is happening a lot. Um, invite and invitation is another one, but we'll come back to that in a moment. Right. Uh, this is fascinating because it's really difficult and it's unstable. Greg has called in from Meadowbrook with a question for you, Rolly. Hello, Greg. G'day. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm Greg. I'm an obstetrician. Um, and I listen to you guys all the time, and it's not to do with uh, uh, the way people speak, but some of the wording. Um, in my game, the word, the word fetus, F-E-T-U-S, yes. and fetus, F-O-E-T-U-S, mm-hmm. and the, the other terms that um, uh, interchange, but I don't think they should be, uh, regimen and regime. Ah, uh, yes. And I'd be very interested to hear your comments on both of those. Okay, um, fetus with the O-E comes from Latin. That's the way it was spelt in Latin, and it was spelt that way because they borrowed it from Greek. So a lot of these things go back to Hippocrates, who was a very famous Greek doctor well before Christ and gave a lot of the names to organs of the body and to various symptoms and diseases and so on. The F-E-T-U-S is an American spelling, and... I believe uh, I've got some very good friends who are obstetricians and gynecologists who talk about fetuses all the time, and they tell me that the F-E-T-U-S spelling is now standard in Australia. It used to be O-E when I was young. Um, was that true with you, Greg, when you were, when you were studying? Absolutely. Yep. I agree. Yep. And a lot of these things like, um, well, economics used to be oikonomics, you know, O-E, because it comes from the Greek word oikos, which means a house. And so your economics is your management of the house. Really? Yeah. And a lot of the other ones like anemia, A-N-A-E-M-I-A, when you were studying, is now A-N-E-M-I-A, which is the American one. And so the O-E and the A-E and so on, they've lost the first one and following the American pattern, partly because so many of the textbooks are American for medicine. So interesting. Where did you study medicine, Greg? Um, I'm very local. I'm a professor at UQ. UQ, nice. Okay. And the other question was around the word regime? And regimen. Yeah, I know. Regimen. Okay. Well, there's regimen, R-E-G-I-M-E-N. And regimen is a a pattern of behaviour which is prescribed or recommended. Um, A regime can also be... uh, He's on a very vegetable regime this week sort of thing. But it can also mean a government. So regime has got two meanings. There's a political one and a sort of habitual one. But the, regim- the reg- regimen is, a, I think, much more of a, a pattern of behaviour. Hmm. And I'd also like to talk to you sometime about endometriosis, but that's another topic. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, really great to hear from you tonight. Thanks so much. Do you say ceremony or ceremony? Ceremony. Uh, that's wrong, isn't it? It's not wrong. It's one of the two options. Um, this is American again, because it used to be ceremony, um, laboratory, mandatory, secretary, and that was the British way of doing it. But the Americans have got much less difference between stressed and unstressed syllables than we do. 
And in the last generation and a half, I think, your pronunciation has become the dominant one. So when I say ceremony, I tend to sound a little stuffy and old-fashioned. Mm. Um, whereas ceremony and, and particularly, well, look, in the 2000 Olympics, uh, there was a, a rule out at the ABC that people would say ceremony. Yes, and I remember next, it. <laughs> and, and NBC and the next thing was saying ceremony. And, of course, every, we hear it all the time from the Americans. I know, and I'm presuming because it's not like I – I mean, I said yes to you when you said it sounds a little kind of over the top or whatever. I don't really notice so much ceremony, ceremony, but I know how I say it. And yes. I presume that comes from being a kid – in the 80s, mm-hmm. probably watching American TV yes. shows. Oh, yes. And, I mean, my kids, when they were young, you know, they used to watch Play School, and that was the Z one, and then they'd watch Sesame Street, and that was the Z one. Yes. And there were almost two universes which they could imitate the language of without mixing them up because they were different codes. But there's so much American TV around that we send, we, you know, we're just surrounded by it and we tend to follow what we hear. Yes. I don't know. Do, do we have an Australian version of the end of the alphabet song because of course you the z rhymes with now i know my abc's yes you know but what rhymes with z it's just, it's just z for us yes that's um, it but there are, are some commercial products which have it's written with a z but you pronounce it z in australia mm. because it's a, a convenient way of making a a, a, a a rhyming, a rhyming uh, slogan or something. Question about contribute and contribute. Oh, clever. Yeah, this one is recent and the British are to blame. And it's very odd because contribute and contribution, right? Now you've got two versions with stresses in the different place. Which one is going to win? Well, we've managed to keep them in place. Contribute but contribution. But then the British came along and for some reason they started saying contribute and distribute. And then they get contribution and distribution. And you've saved yourself some brain work because you don't have to remember that some forms of the verb have got the stress in one place and others have it in another place. Put it on the first syllable and that's that. The BBC is doing it. The Royal Family is doing it. Uh, Estuary English, which is spoken around the Thames Estuary, is doing it. And, uh, I mean, if the BBC BBC is doing it, then the sky has fallen. Ah, But the ABC is holding the line and... Not, Although it's interesting because as we become more and more diverse as a media organisation, the ABC and the BBC, of course, like I remember uh, talking to Rob Mitchell, who you know well as a producer yeah. at ABC, he okay. is from Manchester yeah. and uh, he used to have to use a sort of a proper uh, BBC <laughs> Queen's English voice for a time when he was a broadcaster oh, at the yes. BBC. In which he could. But, very nicely. But, very nicely, but it wasn't his true accent. No. But now the BBC is is far more diverse with, with regional accents mm. and whatnot, and the ABC too. Oh, yes. And I think appropriately too because the ABC is the country broadcaster, you know, and it is in, in, in country areas, for example, it is your local emergency broadcasting station. Yes. And it's appropriate that it should talk to people in the way they will relate to immediately. Yeah, but I'm also thinking in terms of, perhaps people who have learned English as a second language mm-hmm. uh, or have a particular uh, you know, language that's spoken at home and therefore uh, shifts the vowel sounds mm-hmm. in words. And we're used to that as well. I mean, even within mm-hmm. uh, Australia, state to state, words like yes. grant, grant, grant yes. dance, dance. Yes, the, the R ones are, are, are South Australian. And also upper class British. Uh, but there is now a big shift on towards the at one, I think, uh, certainly elsewhere in Australia. Newcastle is said in South Australia and in Newcastle, New South Wales. 
and elsewhere is Newcastle. Newcastle? Yes, but Newcastle in England, unless you live there, in which case you're, you're living in Geordie Land and it's Newcastle. Newcastle, yeah, yeah, right. I've got some more American ones for you. Go on. D-E-B-R-I-S. Debris, debris, debris. Now, this is really hard because no one knows. I mean, in French it's debris. Right. And that, that's fine. Which is but, great but cheese, debris, debris. by the way. Nice. And what about D-E-B-U-T? He did his debut, his debut, his debut, and yesterday he debuted, debuted. Oh. And after a while, the more you hear it, the less you know. I've got one, one example, though, that was really very indicative because these are all American, the, the stress on the last syllable again, things like baton, beret, okay? I was wondering about perfume and perfume. And so I went into one of our more upper market stores mm. and went to the P-E-R-F-U-M-E counter and I, I asked the lady behind the counter, do you say perfume or perfume? And she said, it depends, sir, whether you want to spend $400 or not. <gasps> <laughs> okay. And that was it, that the perfume one, because it was French, it was foreign, it had more flair prestige. And bigger dollar signs. But that's another one where I think a lot of people say perfume, but if they were going to say perfumery. Ah, now that of course is getting closer to French. Yes. But also to another really interesting thing, which is, is actually a rule in English. And it goes like this. If you've got a word, which is a noun, that it refers to a thing or a person or an abstract of some kind, then the stress is almost always on the first syllable if it's got two syllables. So present, But if it's a verb, if it's the action word, the stress is on the second syllable. I'm going to present you a really interesting present. Mm. Okay? And I'm going to export these things. And when they get to China, they will be exports. All right? Um, And so the the nouns are stressed and the adjectives too, like like a a present danger, a present danger meaning – know what quality is it, or a slender chance, a clever person, a happy person. They're all stressed on the first syllable, but the verbs are stressed on the last syllable. And this is a little rule which you can help to get get round a problem because uh, to begin, to decide, you wouldn't say to begin or to decide. That sounds Mm. awful. Okay. So there is a tendency there with two-syllable words. It's so hard. Yes. When you think about English and you think about learning English as a second or third language, oh. how to explain why mm. this is, which brings us back to, you know, I said Rebecca and Rebecca. Mm. What about research and research? I have heard one person say both in one sentence. And if you take the, word, the rule I've just given you, I'm going to do some research, all right? Am I going to do some research? If it's going to be a noun, it should be research and the verb should be I'm going to research this until I understand it properly. Yes. They are now totally mixed up. So is cigarette and cigarette. Hang on, what was the difference between those two? Cigarette and cigarette. First syllable, second syllable. Mm. You hear both. Yes. Right, And people will, uh, our dictionaries just throw up their hands and say, look, sorry, okay. But, but that's about, a really subtle difference I'm to, then. I'm going to produce some new produce. Um, I'm going to refuse some more refuse. I'm going to desert in the desert. And it all follows this, all follows this little pattern that we've got. All right. And I, I can tell you, it gets much worse. <laughs> well, and you've got to be careful too in other languages. Like I remember studying Japanese and the word for chopsticks and bridge, ohashi, mm-hmm. ohashi. Yes. 
One means chopsticks, one means bridge. That's right. If you speak Japanese, you'll know which is which. Thompson in Japili and says how to pronounce all the sounds in English. He said the quick beige fox. Are there any others for oh, the, mouth exercises? Yeah, there, there, were, there are various sentences which try to get all of the letters of English in one sentence. Um, the quick brown fox jumped over the lazy dog. Yes. Things like that. So that's all the letters. But that's all the letters, but it's not all the sounds. Because English has 26 letters of the alphabet, but it's got either 43 or 44 different sounds. Is that all? Yep. Because it depends on whether you say P-O-O-R is poor, poor or poor. Now, P-O-U-R is always poor. I'm going to pour you a drink of, of, yes. of orange juice. But P-O-O-R used to be poor in British English. Poor. And we were, we were told that in elocution years and years ago. But they've now tended to come together. So whether English has 43 or 44 is a little bit of a, a hard sound. I don't know why I'm surprised that seems like a, a low number of of sounds, mm-hmm. considering how many letters we have. Well, 26 letters for 44 sounds. So hmm. some of, a lot of the letters have got multiple duties. Yes. So the letter written A is either A or A, or for some people, A as well. You know the grant-grant um, difference? I do. That's South Australia tends to have a nicer A-R sound. Nicer is a quality judgment. Depends where you come from. Yes. Yeah, so, well, I say that as a far north Queenslander. <laughs> All right. Okay. Eh, eh, eh. No, no, the the but, R one is is uh, upper class British and South Australian. Does that? Why has South Australia hung on to that sound more so than other areas of Australia? South Australians will tell you that they didn't have any convicts in their settlers. And so it was the lower class people who took residence in Victoria and New South Wales and and the West and in Queensland. Hmm. And they tended to say at rather than are. There is a lot of argument about that. But certainly it is true that as one of the few sound differences in Australia that actually distinguishes someone from a particular place. The other thing uh, that's been noted is the L sound. Yes. In the middle of words from people who are South Australian as Mm -hmm. well, milk, it's almost like an LW sound. Or or at the end, yeah, exactly. So football, football, ball, ball. And I remember Julia Gillard saying, we will. We will, yes. We'll. And that is, that is not only – it's also in some British dialects. It's also very typical of South Australia, but also younger people. Um, and it's called the, the – well, it, it's called vocalisation because you're turning the L, which is a consonant, into a vowel. Now, some people will say football, and if you are French, you will say football with a, a light L. And if you're from the younger generations or from South Australia, you and, or Julia Gillard, I will. I will. Will. Yes, we will. A uh, couple of texts coming in for you, Rolly, at 5 to 8 on ABC Radio Brisbane in Queensland. My name's Rebecca. Rebecca. Uh, any comments on learning Mandarin, the five vowel sounds they right. said in pinyin? Yeah, pinyin. Pinyin is the romanization. In other words, it's when you write Chinese in Roman letters. Oh. And it's, it's a very neat, useful thing. And Chinese children actually learn it in, in schools while they're learning characters at the same time. Um, the really tricky thing about, about Mandarin, it's the standard Chinese. I started learning it and then, then had to break because I, I had a, other things I needed to do. Um, I'm going to go back to it, though, because it's so important. But there are, there are five tones. Uh, there's a neutral tone, like ma, and that's a question word. And then there's ma, rising, and 
ma falling and ma falling rising, and they all mean different things. And if you get the wrong one, it's like your Japanese example, you're going to be saying something possibly unspeakable. Mama, 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 mama. Yes. I hope that was okay to say. All right, here's uh, another one for you. Yes. White House. What's the difference between White House and White House? The White House is where the president lives and it's got one stress. Yes. But it consists of two words, right? So when you put two words together and make them into a new sort of joined up one, it's only got one stress. There's only one stress per word. White House. White House. Not White House. It, when I was little, we used to say that the President of the US lives in the White House. White House. Very duh, nice. Duh, two stresses, right? Even the word white, though, some people say with an H, they bring in the H sound, white. Ah, yes. Um, the, the, is there a difference between which W-I-T-C-H and which W-H-I-C-H? Which which did you see this evening? <laughs> and the answer is that the wh sound is still present in Scottish English and some Scottish dialects. Everywhere else has just become a W noise. Text for you saying, how do you say process, process or process? Okay. Um, first of all, process is American. Okay. Now, but if I'm going to process this information, process, verb, second syllable, process, all right? This is a very difficult process to, pro to process. Right? A difficult process to process. The, mm -hmm. the noun's got the stress on the first syllable. The verb, the action word, has got the stress on the second one. But process, I, I say process um, as the noun, you know. Uh, th this is a very a very uncomplicated, a very complicated process. Yes. Right. I, I don't know process is unusual, process, but, I, but I've heard it as well. Yes. Yeah. And uh, after a while, you really don't know which is the way we grew up with, you know, what, yeah. what, what was the pronunciation then? Because I, I sometimes find myself lurching from one sound to another. Ah, the entire last 30 minutes I've been doing that, Rolly. Every time <laughs> you say a word, I'm like, yes, no, wait, what? Hang on. Okay. And as always, this has just rocketed by. The time yeah. with you I feel like is like a, a brain massage and a tongue massage as well. Uh, have you got a final word for us, Rolly well, Sussex? We, we've only just I, – I, I've got lots more. We will come back to it anyway. Okay. Uh, this, is, this is really good fun. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut, the American writer, if your brains were dynamite, there wouldn't be enough to blow your head off. <laughs> Eek! Eek! Well, my mind has been blown tonight by you, Rolly Sussex. So lovely to see you. And um, maybe I'll de-stress about the stress of words because... You might even distress. Oh, gosh. Now I feel distressed. Ah. <laughs> Boom. Thank you, Rolly Sussex. We'll see you next week. Pleasure. You're listening to A Word in Your Ear with Professor Rolly Sussex, a podcast from ABC Radio Brisbane. For more information, head to abc.net.au slash Brisbane.